Hey, everyone. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Like uh, Mark prayed a little bit there. My name is Jaime, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm so glad you're here this morning uh, for our services, for our uh, worship experience. And I'm excited to see uh, all of you because I was away last week. I was on vacation, so... I'm grateful for Brian to have uh, preached for me, and I'm grateful that we have an amazing team of volunteers here, so I could relax while I was catching some sun and also spending Mother's Day with my mom, knowing that uh, anyone who came here last week, trusting that anyone who came here last week both experienced uh, uh, receiving the word of God, but also experienced the hospitality and care and love that our community is, is known for, so I'm super grateful to that, and uh, I, I happen to see some faces that are either new to me or I haven't seen in a while, so if that's you, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, if you haven't gotten one of our welcome gifts, please make sure you get one on the way out. Uh, let us serve you and bless you, because by letting us serve you and bless you with those gifts, you are letting us also serve and bless local businesses in the community which is where we purchase these gifts from. And we love to support our local businesses. So if you haven't gotten one of those gifts, uh, I think we have honey and coffee uh, that are local. Make sure you get one on your way out. And uh, come see me at the door uh, at the end of the service. I'll be there. Come say hi. Tell me a little bit about yourself and what your experience was like this morning. Um, Recently, I was added to a Facebook group, and it's a Facebook group that is gathering people to plan and strategize and, and just come together and organize for a 20-year high school reunion, which gives you a sense of my age. Uh, the, the only issue is that I didn't graduate from this high school. Now, I was there from K through 9 uh, with the same group of people mostly, but after that, I went to a different high school to close out my studies. And so I was a little bit sort of like, okay, well, maybe I should opt out of this group until I saw who added me. And when I saw who added me, uh, it warmed my heart and I decided to stick with the group. I actually ended up, being, ended up feeling not surprised. This was very typical for her because when we were kids, she was the one who invited me to my first cool kids party, which happened to be her birthday. Now, growing up, right, my experience growing up was so different from that of my peers that I had a really hard time establishing and building good relationships with my peers. I had a strong personality. Uh, some things don't change. I had a strong personality. I spent most of my time around adults. Some things don't change. I was an only child. <laughs> Those things are still true. Uh, and I was a bit awkward. Hopefully, that's a little less true. Hopefully that's changed a little bit. So, you know, it was hard to relate to them, and I just didn't get invited to a lot of things. Uh, and when I did get invited, it usually had something to do with the fact that my mom had connected to other moms or other parents during pickup time, and so there was a sense of, well, we like the mom, so let's invite the son as well, and the kids didn't really get a say in it, was at least my perception of it. And that changed when this girl joined our school. She joined it after sort of, I think, late elementary school. She was quickly in the cool kids crowd. But she was the type of girl who got along with everyone. She seemed to be able to build relationships with all types of people. She cared a lot for folks in our school and our grade. She makes sure to check in our people. It's the typical profile of the person you envision is going to be either student council president or class president, which she was. She was our class president. 
And being invited to her birthday party meant a great deal to me. It made a difference in my school experience. It actually improved it a great deal. It helped me build friendships. I was an awkward kid. I was a bit of a mess socially, and she showed me kindness. She showed me hospitality. And given our theme here during this season, which is won't you be a neighbor, you could say that she was the kind of neighbor I needed at a key time in my life. She was a neighbor to me. We're in, that fourth, we're in the fourth week of our Won't You Be a Neighbor series. One of the ways that the Bible summarizes what it means to live a life well, to have a life well lived, is summarized in, in, in loving our neighbors. And God has gathered us all here in Chatham County as a church community, but has also placed us in neighborhoods, in schools, in jobs, in other clubs and social circles, not only here in Chatham County, but even sometimes beyond. And he has brought us into contact with tons of people, tons of potential neighbors. And we've been talking about the difference it can make in people's lives when they have someone who loves them well as a neighbor. We've also talked about the obstacles that come across our lives that that keep us from being good neighbors. We've talked about how to overcome some of those challenges, and we've even given ourselves some practical steps we can take. And we're going to talk about one of the challenges today. See, one of the challenges to being a neighbor, if we're honest, is that there are people we don't want to be a neighbor to. There are people who make it really hard to be a neighbor to them. And in some cases, it's because those people are messy. They're challenging. They may even be classified as difficult or hard to get along with. And don't hear me say that, that, that today, you have to, after you leave here, you have to go talk to all those people who are difficult and challenging in your life and build meaningful relationships with each and every one of them. I'm not saying that. However, what I want us to consider is that there's a good chance that God has placed us in their lives because they need neighbors like you and I can be. They need the types of neighbors that you and I can be. And in fact, I'd argue that God has placed them in our lives, some of them in our lives, because we need the types of neighbors that they can be to us as well. So let me add something to our title today. Not just won't you be a neighbor, but won't you be a neighbor to and with messy people? Won't you be a neighbor to and with messy people? And today we're going to look at a passage where Jesus does just that. Jesus is a neighbor to messy people, and in fact, we see how a messy person is a neighbor to him. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 7. Luke is one of the four accounts we have of Jesus' life. They kick off the New Testament, which is not the second half of the Bible. It's probably sort of the last quarter of the Bible, and it is the third book in the New Testament. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and we'll be there at the seventh chapter, and we're going to read verses 36 through 50. If you didn't happen to bring a Bible, don't worry about it because we're going to put it on the screen in just a second, and if you don't happen to own a Bible, I've got good news for you. We can get you one today. So come talk to me after the service, and we'll get a Bible into your hands. But here we go, Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have a dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's home, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood 
behind him at his feet. Uh, yes. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. He said, Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the, debt, the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the, great, the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Now, we find Jesus uh, at what is likely a banquet-type meal uh, where he's likely the guest of honor, or at least one of the guests of honor. Now, uh, though there was likely a set of people who had been invited to join this Pharisee, Simon, the sort of religious leader, Simon, uh, at, at this meal along with Jesus. It was common for these types of community meals or these types of, of special meals at the houses of important people in the community to be open to the public, to be open to anyone who wanted uh, in town to come and be present, to observe, to witness, to participate in that way. So it's not entirely strange for this woman to be there, but but you were there, but you weren't to engage, right? You weren't meant to be disruptive. The guests who had been invited to the table were engaging, were talking, were probably conversing, and other people could observe, they could watch, they could be present, but they weren't meant to be disruptive or to engage. Middle Eastern culture places a high value on hospitality, and guests, especially guests of honors, would have, would have, guests of honor would have had a particular way of being welcomed into the house and of being treated by the host, whether it was whether it included washing of feet because people there used open-toed shoes and roads were dusty and you didn't want to track in dirt to the house, you'd have your feet washed. It might be a kiss from the host as a way of showing honor to you, of showing warmth, of showing welcome. It might even be oil on your skin as a way of symbolizing a soothing of, of, of what you might have experienced from being out in the scorching sun of desert culture. Now, the host of this party has likely done a number of things to show good hospitality. I mean, Jesus is a guest of honor. He's invited him. There is likely a meal that has been prepared. He's taken care of a number of things, but he's missed. He's missed a few of them. One of them being 
the washing of Jesus' feet. And the passage tells us that they are reclining at a table. So don't picture them being at a dining table like most of us have, where we're sitting on a chair and our feet are on the ground. Think of a lower table. Think of cushions maybe around the table. And think of people sort of reclining, resting one arm on the table, sort of with feet facing out away from the table. And that makes it quite visible to anyone who is watching that Jesus' feet are not clean. And there's this woman, and she has a history. It's a messy history, and this is a small town, and y'all know how small towns go. If someone has a messy story, everyone knows that messy story. Everyone knows. And she comes to see Jesus. Somehow she's found out that Jesus is there, and she has to come and see him. And she's brought with her a jar of perfume. This is an expensive possession of, her, of hers, a valuable possession of hers, given what was most likely her profession, which was likely uh, that of being a prostitute or of uh, offering sexual services in exchange for money in other ways. She had this perfume. Her, her appearance, her smell, her fragrance was all part of her trade, and she's brought this valuable possession with her. And while her being at the dinner might have shocked some people because of her reputation, it wouldn't have been completely out of the ordinary, but what she does once she's there is entirely disruptive. She starts making noise. She is weeping. She starts to come into contact with Jesus. She starts to clean his feet with her hair. She opens up this jar of perfume, filling the house with this intense smell. This was disruptive. This was awkward. This was uncomfortable. Can you imagine how it would have felt if in the midst of having a dinner conversation, all of a sudden you hear this weeping, you see this action, you smell this perfume. Others may be disturbed, clearly Simon is, but Jesus doesn't seem phased at all by this. In fact, it seems like he's just continuing on with the conversation while she is washing his feet, while she is anointing his feet for the perfume. Now, eventually he addresses her, but for the time being, he's just present. He's just present and inviting by his ongoing engagement with the conversation, inviting her to continue doing what she is doing in the midst of this situation that maybe may have made lots of people uncomfortable. Friends, messy people can create uncomfortable situations. They can make us uncomfortable. They can create moments that are awkward. If you hang around with messy people, there will be messy moments. It's inevitable. And it, and it might be that many of us would rather not be in those moments. But if we're going to neighbor messy people, if we're actually going to be neighbors to the folks that Jesus puts in our path, including messy people, then we must learn to remain present in awkward and uncomfortable moments. Because awkward and uncomfortable moments will inevitably happen. They will inevitably happen if we spend any amount of time with messy people. It may be a comment that makes us cringe. 
it may be a story that is inappropriate for present company. It may be something that they do. Maybe they come to your house and open your fridge. By the way, I have a bad habit of doing that. Don't ask me why. But I just have a bad habit of doing that. It makes some people uncomfortable. So maybe something they do. And if we recoil, if we retreat, we'll miss the opportunity. We'll miss the opportunity to see what comes after the awkward moment. To see what comes after the uncomfortable situation. To see what more there is. To see what might be under the surface of the comment or the story or the action. Now, as someone who is really ticklish or used to be really ticklish, I can't imagine not jumping up if someone touched my feet. But Jesus stays in the moment, right? And he doesn't draw attention to the woman, at least not at first. And what this does, right, by him remaining present, by him remaining available, by him remaining engaged, he's able to receive what is actually a beautiful act of service, what is actually something very valuable that she is putting forth for Jesus. He's able to receive the washing of his feet, an act that should have happened already to him, but that he was needing, that no one had done yet. No one had taken care to do this thing of honor for him. And by remaining present in an awkward moment, he is able to receive that from her. See, her being messy doesn't mean she doesn't have something valuable to offer. It doesn't mean that she can't do something worthwhile, worth receiving. Messy people have valuable things to offer. They have valuable things to contribute to relationship because people have something valuable to offer. Because everyone has something valuable that they can contribute to a relationship. And if we're able to remain past the uncomfortable moment, past the awkward comment, we'll be able to see and provide an opportunity to receive that which they have to offer. Now let's be clear. Jesus has a lot more to give this woman, right? They aren't equals in this situation. And yet that doesn't stop him from receiving what she has to offer, what she chooses to offer. I was reading in a book recently, and a man tells a story of being in a checkout line. And you may have been in this situation as well. He's got a small number of items, the amount of items that you can hold in your hands. And he's behind an older woman who has lots of items in the checkout line, right? And, 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 and as she's getting ready to, have, to start having her items checked out, she notices that he has, doesn't have a lot in his hands. And she says to him, why don't you go ahead in front of me? Now, he's younger. He's not like, it's not weighing on him at all. He has nowhere to be. He's not in a rush. So he says to her, no, 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 no. Don't worry, don't worry. You probably have something. He notices that she has maybe cold items on the line. You put, don't worry about it. You, you go ahead. I can wait. And she looks at him again and goes, no, no, no. Go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 no. Don't worry, don't worry. You go ahead. You, you stay there. I'm, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then she looks at him and gets really serious and says, why won't you receive my kindness? It stops him dead in his tracks. Friends, there are times 
when, when we resist receiving service from people, when they have something valuable to offer, and maybe it's because we think they probably need something from me more than I need something from them. Sometimes it's just, no, 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 I don't want to be a disturbance or I don't want them to have to bother with me. We may think that sometimes because we have lots to offer to messy people in our lives, we should make sure we offer all that we have to offer to them before we let them offer anything to us. Maybe we'll say things like, no, 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 let me do something for you. But when we do that, what we communicate can be, on one extent, I don't want to receive your kindness. Another extent might be, I don't think you have anything valuable to offer to me. But they do have something valuable to offer. Because people have something valuable to offer. And by receiving it, by receiving their kindness, by receiving voluntary acts of service, we acknowledge their value and dignity. Again, in the relationship between the woman and Jesus, Jesus has way more to offer, way more that she needs than what she can offer him. And yet, by receiving her kindness, by receiving her voluntary act of service, he acknowledges that she has dignity, that she has value, and that she has something to offer. Many of the people in our lives know rejection. Those awkward, messy people, they know rejection. They know what it's like to be avoided. They know what it's like when people brush them off. They know what it feels like to look down on and to be thought of as someone who is consistently at a disadvantage and has nothing to contribute. And it's so easy to affirm their value. It's so easy to speak to their dignity in welcoming voluntary acts of service and kindness. So take a moment right there where you are and think of the messy people in your life, the awkward people in your life. Is there perhaps one of them who's been offering to do something kind for you, to serve you in a particular way, and maybe you've been putting them off? Perhaps you have an opportunity now to receive it. Take the opportunity to receive it. Take the opportunity to affirm their value and dignity like Jesus does for this woman. Some of us, the memories that are coming to mind are, are, are opportunities that are long past now. It's okay. There's an opportunity to repent. There's an opportunity to grieve that. There's an opportunity to resolve to not let that happen again. Do that, friends. Do that. Um, at my old church, there was a, uh, a family that came at one point, and um, this was sort of a last hurrah for them in terms of their marriage and their family. Uh, they had a bit of a messy history, a messy past. Him in particular, he'd struggled with a lot of things uh, and, and particularly had some addictive tendencies and had some substance abuse problems. And coming to church was kind of the wife's ultimatum. It's like, we need to try something different or this is done. Or this is done. And he was rough around the edges, y'all. But he came and the church welcomed him and the church had small groups that met uh, one of them met on Sunday nights, uh, you know, and, and so he got invited to that small group. It was the pastor's small group. Uh, and he started to come, and 
you know, he wasn't super familiar with church. He was rough around the edges, but he came, he engaged, and little by little, things started to change in the family. Things started to change in his life. And he's a bit of a yo-yo, right? He's a bit of up and downs, but he was sort of trending towards the right direction. And one of the things that started to happen, we started to read the Bible, right? He started to hear about Jesus. He wanted to find out more. This was intriguing to him. And he would often share off-the-wall comments in small groups. But, you know, it was all normal for someone who had no experience in church. And then things started to click. And one day he comes to a small group and he's super excited. And he's, he's, he's telling them about a story he read in the Bible and how that connected to something that had happened in his life that week. And he was super excited. And he says, I just realized this bleep is real. Except where I said bleep, he said a word that you don't say in good company. It was an awkward moment by a messy person. An awkward moment by a messy person. This was the moment where people could have chosen to be like, oh, no, 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 you you can't say that here. No one did that. Because people saw the heart. They received it. They celebrated. They affirmed. They got excited with him. They got excited with him, and they saw that something beautiful was happening in his life. And they affirmed it. They affirmed it. It stoked a fire for encountering God through Scripture in his life that I hope and pray continues to this day, though I've lost contact with them over the last few years. See, friends, sometimes beyond the awkward and uncomfortable is something beautiful. If this church, if this small group had sort of set him aside with many of his awkward comments in the past, if they had reacted to the word instead of seeing the beauty that was there, who knows what would have happened. But they didn't. They remained present in the awkward. They remained present in the uncomfortable. They saw the beauty of this man who was connecting to God. It was a beautiful moment for him. And in fact, this was part of a snowball sort of positive series of changes uh, where I can't remember if it was a year or six months later, ended with the whole family getting baptized together on the same day. And affirming not just that they had given their lives to God, but that this experience had saved their family. And a part of that was that communities of people were neighbors to them pressing through the awkward, pressing through the uncomfortable, pressing through the times that he stumbled back into substance abuse, pressing through the times where uh, there were questions about whether to call child protective services, pressing through the ugly words, sticking with them, loving them back to health and wholeness. These beautiful moments were true for this family. It was true in this passage. Some of these beautiful moments only happen if we're with messy people. Some of them are only possible if we're with messy people. See, Jesus remaining present, receiving her acts of service, gives him then the opportunity to speak about the real things that were going on, right? Just like my friend said, this bleep is real. Jesus receiving the act of service, remaining present for this woman, allows an opportunity then for him to speak about real things to her. 
After she does this act of service, as Simon comments, Jesus starts to interpret what happens. He speaks about what she did and contrasts it with what Simon didn't do. And therefore, he highlights the value of what she did for everyone that was present. Everyone who, thought, who knew her story and thought she had nothing else to offer got to hear that she offered something valuable to the teacher. It tells everyone that the sinful woman is more than her history. Jesus is speaking real things. The values that drove her action, Jesus acknowledges them, sees them, and speaks that they have cosmic significance, maybe cosmic significance that she wasn't aware of. He says, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. We don't know if she came knowing those categories or wanting that, but because Jesus is with her, he sees what she's doing. He sees through to her heart. He can speak that, speak what is going on under the surface. And then he blesses her with peace. Who knows when the last time this woman experienced anything other than turmoil. And yet Jesus, sticking with this messy person, opens the door for him to bless her with peace. Messy people can create unexpected moments of beauty and wonder, but they don't always know that they've done it. Many of them don't have categories for that. And one of the ways we neighbor them well is to interpret and bless those moments. To interpret and bless those moments. Sometimes it's like what Jesus did. I've had moments where all I say to people who are messy is I say, do you realize that you're doing something that's close to the heart of God? Changes the conversation for them. They're like, what do you mean? I was talking to someone recently who has a particular profession uh, in town where they come in contact with a lot of people and she knew I was a pastor and so we were talking about that and I said, you know, in a way, you have an opportunity to pastor people too, to, be, to shepherd people. And she was like, what do you mean? Well, I always say that stylists and bartenders are like the community shepherds because they get to hear everyone's story. They have an opportunity to speak into their lives. So actually, you have a position of, of privilege and of honor here to be able to interact with people when they reveal more than they might reveal in other places. And you get to speak something good to them. You get to connect you get to connect when you stick with people. Interpret and bless the opportunities for beauty and wonder that they have. Sometimes it's even as simple as saying, we can pray about that. And you connect people to beauty and wonder. You connect people to the divine. Now, I want to take a quick aside to talk about a paradigm or a progression that has been around for a long time that, that, that has to do with what it means to be in a group or to be part of a community and to be in good standing. And it's centered, around, uh, it's centered on three words, believe, behave, belong. Churches for a long time operated in this paradigm in a progression. And the progression was behave, believe, belong, or Believe, belong, uh, sorry, believe, behave, belong. What it meant was that people needed to first believe the right things and then behave the right way and then they could belong to our communities. This doesn't work for messy people, folks. 
Messy people have been excluded for way too long because churches have operated under this paradigm. So I'll say this, in my actions, and my hope is that for us as a church, we will be a belong and then believe behave kind of community. That will tell people, you have a place in my life. Before you believe anything like I do, before you behave any particular way. Now, there are boundaries, of course. There are extremes. There are, of course, right? Don't, there, there are extremes, of course. I'm not talking about those extremes. But within, within healthy boundaries, people can belong to be part of our lives, be part of our community before they believe anything, before they behave in any particular way. If we, if we to messy people particularly and awkward people, communicate that we love them, that they are with us, that we value them, that we're in relationship with them, then we'll have the opportunity to speak to belief, to invite belief. And then the Holy Spirit will take care of behavior. It's his job. Let's operate in a different paradigm. Our world needs these. Now, we've talked a lot about the woman, but we can't forget that Simon is in the picture. Now, let's, re- re- let's recap. What is Simon? Simon is respected in the community. He's a man who's learned He has a good reputation, and people want to come to his house. People want to come to his house. And he honors Jesus by hosting a dinner and inviting Jesus. But for whatever reason, he happens to miss some of the hospitality customs, and he's uncomfortable by what the woman does, by the scene she makes. And he directs his discomfort, right? He's he's uncomfortable, but then he projects out his discomfort by making a comment towards Jesus, a condescending comment. He says, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And that's when you realize, right? With that comment, that's when you realize that Simon is not as put together as he thinks he is or as he appears to be. There's some chinks in his armor. The woman is messy in a very public and a very unacceptable way. But Simon's messy too. He just happens to be messy in a passive-aggressive way, and we tend to be more okay with that for some reason. He tends to be he's passive, he's, uh, uh, messy in a passive-aggressive kind of way. Maybe it's the kind of thing that people would overlook in others, overlook in themselves. See, it's easy to miss the messes that most of us are acceptable. Most of us think are acceptable. It's easy to see the messes that most of us agree are messy. The socially unacceptable ones. But one of the gifts of being in proximity to Jesus, and we see it in this passage and we encounter it in life, is realizing, normalizing, and coming to grips with the truth that we are all messy in our own ways. All of us have a different kind of mess. Reminds me of the show Friends. In the show Friends, there's a character named Monica. Monica is a neat freak. She cleans everything. She tells everyone how to clean things. She organizes things. And then there's this one episode where, where, where we realize that there's a door in the apartment that never gets opened. And suddenly, one of the characters becomes curious about this door. And Monica doesn't want them to open that door for anything. But finally they get it open and out of that door falls out this whole clutter and mess of things. See, Monica was messy too. It was just in a hidden way. We all have places where there is mess. 
we all have places where there is mess. And Jesus tells a parable to Simon about different degrees of forgiven debt and then points out the ways that Simon has missed the mark in, in, in hospitality with him, in part to invite Simon to realize that he is messy, to acknowledge that he has his own mess. Jesus wants us to see and acknowledge our own messiness in part because it would help us experience freedom and in part because it will help us be good neighbors to the folks who are obviously messy. Gets rid of the roadblocks. Now Simon was already uncomfortable by the woman doing what she had done. And then Jesus calls him out. And he calls him out with other people being able to hear. And I want to argue, because some of us don't like this idea of you know, calling people out or even saying things publicly like this. I want to argue that Jesus is actually being a good neighbor to Simon in this moment. He's being a good neighbor by making him aware of his messiness. I was with a friend once. It was a friend I'm comfortable with. And this was a few years ago. And as we were talking, we were talking about different social circles we're a part of. And I happened to say, yeah, you know, you know when, when I enter a room, like, it's hard for me to not think that I'm the smartest person in the room. It just slipped out of my mouth. And he was quiet. But in that quiet, he was saying a lot. He just looked at me. He just looked at me. As if to say, I need you to acknowledge what you just said. I need you to consider why you're thinking these things. I need you to consider whether that's the person you want to be. Now, it was awkward. The silence was awkward, right? Because there are different ways to call people out. Full front, the awkwardness. Full front, the uncomfortableness. On display, my messiness. But it was key to me experiencing freedom. Having someone put the spotlight on that messiness helped me deal with it. Helped me deal with it. Inviting people to acknowledge their own messiness can be the neighborly thing to do with care. Don't go calling out everyone publicly right now, but there are instances where it is okay to not let, it, to not let bad behavior be okay. To not let it stand. To let people feel uncomfortable by, bringing their mess, by having their mess sort of just be there. At this party, Jesus brings together a woman who is socially messy, and a man who is messy in ways that are hidden. They're acceptable. And he's a neighbor to both of them. And he creates potential for them to be neighbors to each other. He paints a picture of what's possible if we're willing to be a neighbor to messy people. Friends, when we press through the awkwardness, when we press through the discomfort, when we press through the challenges that come with neighboring messy people and being messy people trying to neighbor, we get to experience beauty. We get to experience wonder. We get to experience the joy that is messy people connecting with each other as they connect to God. It's the stuff of a life well lived. So today the invitation it's simple. I'm going to modify a little bit what I said earlier in the service. The invitation is to be a messy neighbor to and with messy people. To come to grips with the truth that we're all messy in our own ways. And God has maybe placed people who are obviously messy around us. 
And some of us need them to neighbor us. And some of them need us to be neighbors to them. So won't you be a neighbor? I'm going to invite the worship team to join me on stage here, and I'm going to pray for us. Lord, for far too long, we have excluded people who are messy in particular ways. And Lord, we repent of that. Because it's not the Jesus way. It is not the Jesus way. Lord, there are people in our lives who are messy, who make us uncomfortable, who create awkward moments. Some of them need us to be neighbors to them. Would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us what we need to press through the awkwardness and see the beauty? Lord, would you also give us eyes to see the messiness in us? That we would be both grateful to you for the ways you've cared for us in that messiness and humble as the people who are messy around us take their own time in having you address their messiness. Lord, may a different story be written about how the church treats messy people. And may it start with us here. In Jesus' name, amen.